All right, let's get into the Word. Let's go to Colossians 3 this morning. How do you know we were going to go there, right? <laughs> uh, and let's pray as we do this. Father, this morning, as we get into your Word, I just pray that you would come be in this place. Lord God, minister to our hearts. Even if this is familiar material to most of us, I pray that you bring it afresh and bring it anew and minister to our hearts as we, as we seek more and more uh, to be uh, transformed to your likeness, Lord God. We give you our, our, our time in the Word this morning, and we bless your name. Amen. Oh, this is an exciting time. As we go through Colossians, I don't, I don't recall Pastor Rob mentioning this, but I would highly recommend as you go through the book of Colossians and you study it on your own that you use Ephesians as kind of a companion book with this. Um, it's an exciting um, passage of Scripture. It really opens to us and really a mature understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for us and what his death it really means to us as a whole. So let's just go ahead and read through this and we'll break it down a little bit. Let's start at uh, verse 9. B. <laughs> I don't have B in my Bible. I'm just kidding. Uh, not <laughs> right here where it says, Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him, whether there, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, there's that therefore again, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Really a good little passage of scripture, pretty, pretty big chunk. We're going to break it down. But we're going to break down kind of quick, um, 90s style. No, I'm not going to break down anything like that. But, uh, but let's, let's take a moment. Let's think about this. Think about what kind of images come to your mind when I mention these, these characters or these eras of time. Uh, think of a homeless person. You've kind of got a picture in your head, right? Think of a rich person. Okay, now think of a gothic person. <laughs> think of a redneck. I got more laughs out of the rednecks. Um, uh, not that you're a redneck, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, how about skaters? <laughs> skaters. Do you know I skate? Yeah, skateboarding. Yeah, it's not like rollerblading or skating, but I'm the real skateboarding. Um, skateboard. No, <laughs> how about uh, headbangers? Remember the headbangers? <laughs> Some of you guys still do it, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, laughter is directly related to guilt. <laughs> how about these eras of time? How about, let's go, let's not jump too far back. Let's start with like the 90s. You remember the, the style of the 90s? Hair bands, yes. Uh, it's just kind of a weird feeling when you hear the music come on the radio and you go, I, that's, and it's on a classic station now. You're like, seriously? <laughs> I'm not even 40 and it's on the classic rock radio? <laughs> Oh, great, but <laughs> but you remember the styles, the dresses, the dress styles that came with that? How about the 80s? The bright colors, 
uh, the 70s, you had the, the, even the 70s music, the bell bottoms, the big collars, you know, <laughs> uh, Daft Punk and the weird dancing. Yeah, right. <laughs> Every generation says that that last generation had weird stuff, right? How about the 60s? We're going back even further now. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to go much further because I don't want to offend anybody. So, uh, but because I wasn't there either, and I can't, I can't really talk to it. Yeah. <laughs> From the, uh, you know, I was born in the 70s, but I consider myself more of an 80s, 90s child. So I, I can relate to those eras a lot. Um, but you know, the, we could go further and further back, and the, and talk about ethnic groups. We could, we can likely get an idea or a feel just um, by by thinking about the way they dress, what kind of era they came from, right? Um, the most common thing, of course, next to the music would be the way they dressed, and those things are ultimately what kind of define those people groups in those eras in that time. Um, it kind of they, that's what they identified themselves with. I don't know about you, but if you've seen a lot of our teenagers and high schoolers, even uh, junior hires nowadays, it's like they don't know what era that they belong to in some ways. <laughs> I see, I see the '80s colors coming back. I see some people with bell bottoms. I see, I see some the hair band like lookalikes coming back, and it's it's kind of scary to me in some ways. But um, it's it, the the crazy thing though. If you think about it, I mean, we're all searching for some kind of identity. What do we relate to ourselves to? Um, and there's a certain stigma that can, that comes with the way that you dress. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it, but if you wanted to be respected or if you wanted to be known as something, you would put on some kind of garb that would relate you to maybe being a skater or being you know, a homeless person. If you wanted to relate yourself to that, you would, you know, we all have this idea of what these things look like. The thing is that when we, um, we take on this idea, we see a person and we immediately go, oh, that person's a jerk. And we haven't even really evaluated them. We haven't gotten to know them. We don't know their characteristic. We don't know anything about them. And we begin to judge them, right? Yeah, and become really dangerous about uh, breaking one of Jesus' commandments. You know, judge not lest you be judged. He said, don't, don't do it. But there's a difference, guys, between judging and evaluating. And um, just to really hit on that real quick, because, you know, it's okay. Those things aren't bad to, to a degree. It's, it's okay to identify and dress yourself to, a, um, to fit the part or be a, a certain way. But um, when we take and judge somebody to condemn them, that, that's when we become in big trouble. So think about um, Lady Justice. You all know who Lady Justice is, right? Some of you guys probably have a better idea than others. Uh, <laughs> because either being in the court system or being in the courtroom, uh, you've seen <laughs> Lady Justice, right? She has a blindfold on. She's carrying, she has a, a scale in her hand. And the, the reason it being judging without, with this blinder on and the weights and the scales being what we evaluate truth and evidence as well. Um, of course, we have to judge to a degree. We have to more or less evaluate to a degree. Otherwise, we'd have bank robbers running our cash registers at the business, right? So, um, or the government. <laughs> well, there's some things you just can't get away from, right? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> when it comes down to it, guys, we're, we're going to see that in this passage that there's way more to a person than the outward appearance. And we all know that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the heart, right? So let's look at uh, the, the first couple verses in Colossians. Um, verse 1 says that we have been risen with Christ. Now, this whole idea as we go through the book of Colossians, and especially in this chapter, is that as a believer, we've been given this eternal life or this resurrection life. Um, and number 1, in verse 1, he says, you've been risen with Christ. Verse 3, your life is hid with Christ in God. And in verse 4, Christ is our life. There's a lot to do with Jesus in this passage, and we can't overlook that 
But with this eternal life, this risen, this resurrected uh, life that, that we've received through grace when we've come to the cross, we have to know within our canoer that this kind of life, yeah, our canoer, um, I went to Big Bear High School, um, but with this, within our knower that this kind of life, it demands a certain kind of type of behavior. Now, I know a lot of times um, if you've been in the church long enough or if you're a pastor, you kind of get tired of hearing this exhortation to better behavior. Um, but we, that's another thing we can't avoid because there is a certain kind of behavior that needs to come from a Christian life, a life that's resurrected, a life that's changed. Um, at least have it in our, in our knower. You know, there are, there are certain things that, that should characterize us. There, there's things that we should set aside and other things that we should put on. Old, old things need to be put away and the new things need to come on. It's reflected in 2 Corinthians 5.17, which we're all most all familiar with, which says what? Those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Think about the animals that went into Noah's Ark. Um, the, the zebra went in and he came out a zebra. He didn't change, <laughs> right? Um, think about the porcupine that went in. He came out maybe with a few less quills, but he was still a porcupine. Um, I can't say exactly the same for Noah. He probably had less hair, but he was still Noah <laughs> in the sense. Um, I'm sure that his character was definitely developed, but the change that happens from the inside of us, uh, it changes the way that others see us from the outside because of the dramatic change that's happened when we release control of ourselves and decide to follow one that's greater than ourselves. Uh, John Christus, Chris, Chris system. <laughs> He's a, an old church father. I mean, you go back, you probably won't remember him. You probably weren't around during this era. Uh, this was back in 347. Um, he said this, Like unto a spiteful fox, <laughs> that swindler entered the church who built his house on the ruin of his competitors. And behold, he goes out more harmless than a lamb, willing to sacrifice his own interests for the sake of others. Like a crow, that sinner entered the church, and now behold, he goes out cooing like a dove. That impatient, quarrelsome man who made everyone smart, who touched him like a porcupine, came in bristling, and behold, he goes away like a loving spaniel, gentle to the touch. There's a just like, I, I thought this was this great example of transformation, transform, this transformed life. We've heard um, it referred to, I'm sure a, a lot of us have re- heard referred to the scripture that we heard read earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.17, a new creation. We, we get the idea of a butterfly coming and going through its metamorphosis stage, right? Um, going into the cocoon and coming out totally differently, transformed. Um, this, con- this conversion of transformation, is a, it's a re- regeneration of new life. It's a whole new thing. And people need to see this change as we develop and mature, or what's going to happen? People are going to see us as hypocrites, right? Um, it, the DC Talk song, okay, I'm going back to one of my eras here for a second. Um, some of you guys have heard it. it. It starts off, it says, you know, the, it says the most, the biggest problem in the world today is Christians who uh, go to church and proclaim Jesus and then go out and deny them by their lifestyle. And it's the greatest cause of atheism today. I did not get that quote quite right. I wasn't even sure if I was going to use it, but there it is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, people see us as, they'll see us as fakes or they'll see us as hypocrites if our life doesn't match up to what we're saying we are. My mom used to say our, our walk, walk, and our talk, talks, but our talk talks louder than our walk, walks. Yeah. <laughs> she gets, she goes, she has all kinds of these little, uh, sayings. <laughs> if you ever want to talk to her, go for it. 
She'll minister to you. She'll minister to you. <laughs> but this is why I kind of, I really like uh, sick, uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Colossians because it really gives us such a picture of living a life that's different from our old life. It's really perfect, actually, when we're talking about uh, baptism and trying to explain why we baptize, uh, why it needs to be a public event, not necessarily a private event. Um, and I want to just jump back. As I said, Ephesians is a good companion book to Colossians. Let's look at Ephesians four seventeen through 24. If you don't have your Bibles this morning, um, I have it up here on the screen. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible whenever, just because I have the scripture up here. Um, this is the translation I'm using. I'm really getting excited about this ESV version. I really find it um, really helpful, very, uh, very much more of a translation than a paraphrase. Look at this, Ephesians four seventeen through 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, exclamation point. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I like how it says you need to put it on. It's like it's that it's sitting there. It's that, that clothing that, that you just bought, and you're not going to look good in it unless you put it on, right? That's a bad idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. For the recording. But we have, to, we have a choice to make. We have to put it on to get dressed. To get dressed, we have to make a choice of what we're going to wear. Now, I like how he says, um, put, put this on, put off the old life. Let me just refer this back to the Roman Empire back in the day. If you were caught murdering somebody or murdered somebody and you were caught, uh, one of your punishments were that you, that you had to carry the corpse on your back. You had to carry the corpse around four days at a time, and usually it was long enough to where it actually killed you, because the corpse would start to decay, and you'd be carrying a decayed body, which would in turn decay you, and it wouldn't take long for that to affect the way you look. So, <laughs> not to be morbid, but yeah, that's going to eventually kill you. And I don't know if Paul was thinking of this when he wrote Ephesians or Colossians, but um, I can understand if he did, because this is right around his time frame, and he would be saying, like, you know, guys, what's the point? If you're a new man, what, what's the sense of carrying around the old dead person that's strapped to you or deciding to put him back on? Because eventually that's going to kill your Christian walk, and it's going to kill your, um, the way you look around to others and to other people. And so as you can see this morning that I'm not one to necessarily dress to impress. <laughs> but what are you laughing for? Although... You know, don't get me wrong, it sure does feel great to put on a nice shirt, doesn't it? I mean, you guys can relate to that. I mean, think about putting, guys, putting on an Armani jacket or a men's warehouse jacket. <laughs> There's a difference there, right? And it's nice, and it just kind of envelops you and wraps you. And girls, you probably know what I'm talking about in different senses than blouses. I've never necessarily worn a blouse, but um, skirts, but we're not going to go there. Um, but you know what I'm talking you know what I'm saying? There's certain things that you put on that just make you go, ah, oh, this is nice. I feel good in this. Uh, but let me tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you an embarrassing story here about the Briars household, my household. Um, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Why do you guys shake when I say something like that? Uh, <laughs> well, it's embarrassing to me. It won't be embarrassing to you, hopefully. But, you know, my, my wife is, is a busy 
gal. She's a talented gal. She's got a lot going on. She's helping me raise together as a married couple. We own a five-year-old and a three-year-old. <laughs> okay, we're raised. <laughs> But you know what? Every day of the week, she's doing school. She's doing homework. She's she's taking them to activities. She, she'll bathe them. She'll change their diapers. Not the five-year-old, the three-year-old. While trying to stay up on dishes and house cleaning and, and on top of it all, run this amazing photography business. A little plug. Um, Dragonfly Photography she does some amazing, amazing work, uh, definitely. But on top of all this, we understand that, that we're, we're busy. I'm busy as well. Um, with uh, bringing in the bacon, I guess, if you will. But, you know, I understand that, that she's constantly going. She understands that I'm constantly going. So we work together. We have this relationship, and uh, we work together to do necessary things that need to be done around the house. And one of the things that I like to try and do is laundry. This week, it was an accident. It wasn't necessarily an accident. It's just we both got so busy that it just stacked up, and she nailed it all in, like, one day. And I'm like, how do you do this? <laughs> uh, but one of the things I used to do is, is I'll take on the laundry. I don't mind doing laundry. Put me on dish patrol, and I just can't stand it but I remember one or two times in particular where she's come home with um, a nice pair of pants or a shirt and that she absolutely loved and and she would remind me not to dry them or wash them certain ways right and ladies you've probably done that with other husbands that have tried to do some cleaning around the house um, but you know me being the guy that I am you know things get kind of lost in translation lost in transformation and lost in uh, you know transferring things to the laundry to the dryer and that's where they end up you know but Guys, I don't know if you ever tried to help out around the, you know, doing some of the chores you know, around the house. It, your wife actually likes that, <laughs> and it turns them on in a sense. It gets them really excited, yeah, happy. And so, <laughs> not you know, sorry, babe. Uh, but you know, she'll come up to me. She'll see what I'm doing. She'll slap me on the rear. You know, give uh, kiss me on the cheek or whatever. And thanks me for helping out and coo for a second. And yes, I love you too. That's why I'm doing this. And uh, and then she'll go. Where's my sweater? Uh, and you get kind of an idea of what the sweater looks like. She goes, oh, it's probably, and then you see this. She just reaches for the dryer. And... You know, the, it's now one of like our kids' shirts, right? If it, if it, suddenly there's not a lot of cooing going on. Um, <laughs> Maybe you can relate, guys. I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's some of us out there that will try to, you know, a lot of times put something on and we'll dress ourselves in ways that uh, <laughs> we want other people to think that we're somebody completely different than who we are. But, guys, I mean, we understand the Bible says that, you know, that God looks at the heart, right? We need to know first and foremost what God thinks of us, what we we need to understand that our identity can't be found in the things that we wear or surround ourselves with, the cars that we drive, the houses that we own, um, where we live, in the valley. <laughs> identity can't be found there. We need to go back and we need to understand that those things can be nice. It's okay, and there, there's no harm in, to, in them to a degree. But if that's where we put our hope and we put our trust in, then really it's kind of like carrying around dead, a corpse. It's going to turn us. It's going to change us. What we need to do is find our identity in what the Lord says about us in Scripture. And here's a perfect, perfect example that goes really well with Colossians. I want you to look at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's our identity, guys. That's where it needs to be. That you may proclaim the excellent 
excellencies of him who, came, who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our identity needs to be found in the scriptures. And what he says about us. Think of uh, Psalms 139. It was a cornerstone scripture for me uh, growing up. Uh, it says he's knit us in our mother's womb. He knew us before we were born. In Jeremiah, it says that he's going to make us the head, not the tail. Um, that we have a hope and a future. The things that were applied to the people of Israel uh, are now applied to us because of the work of Jesus on the cross. On the cross. And at the end of verse 9, he says that there should be a corresponding lifestyle change from darkness into light. God sees us as, as a new creation. He's not just saying that you are a new creation. He sees us as a new creation. The righteousness of Christ is applied to us. This new life needs to fill us. It needs to push off the old dead leaves of fall from the former lifestyle with all of its resolutions, with all of its self-effort and all of its self-condemnation that could never get rid of itself. We have to put on this new clothes, these new garments, this new clothes of a new man. And guys, it's not going to happen overnight. A lot of us probably know that from experience, right? There's a, a story that Mike Warnke used to give. I love this story. I'm just going to share it with you right now. now <laughs> he, uh, he said he, after he was done, you know who Mike Warnke is, by the way. Okay. Comedian, Christian comedian back, uh, he kind of up, came up in the 70s, if you will. And if you saw him today, he looks like he's still there, kind of, just a little bigger. But um, <laughs> he, uh, he gave a story after he was done doing one of his, his shows or his routines. This guy came up to him stoned out of his mind. And he goes, hey, Mike, dude, do you think do I have to give up marijuana to be saved? He goes, no. <laughs> no, no, I don't think you understand, Mike. Do I have to give up marijuana, dude, to, to be saved? No, no, you don't. You don't have to give up marijuana. No, Mike, you don't understand, man. Do I have to give up marijuana? And he says he pulls out the biggest joint he's ever seen. And he goes, and he says, I haven't been saved that long. And I was still going, oh. Um, and he says, no, you don't have to give up marijuana. But what you need is the Holy Spirit. Because what will happen when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you're not going to want the desire. You're not going to have that, that draw towards the addictions anymore, the things that, that you need to rely on to fulfill your own selfish desires. You're going to have the Jesus Christ in your life. You're going to have the Holy Spirit moving through you, and you won't need that kind of high. In fact, you get yourself around people that have that high, the Holy Spirit high, and you'll just get high from the contact. <laughs> you know? He says, no, you don't need to do anything. Man, I lost my place. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so let's, let's, let's actually get into the scripture now. Let's just jump down to, to uh, Colossians 12, but real quick, uh, 3.12. Paul instructs us how to live out this resurrected life in front of others. And you know what? It's not just about your life. It's not just about your relationship with God or how we present ourselves around others. That, but it's, it is how, but how we present ourselves around others that the world will recognize a difference. In fact, we all know John's 13.35, right? They will know that we are Christians. We will know that we are disciples of Christ by our, our love for one another. For one another is how he finishes it out. So let's keep this in mind as we move through Colossians 3. And this is where the outward manifestation of an inward transformation takes place. This is the lifestyle that we're after, after okay? So Colossians 3.12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved. And some of your guys, some of your your texts will probably say the elect, which is just fine. 
But there it is. He's saying it's time to get dressed. As called by God to the cross where we found grace and mercy and the newness of life, we have to put on these things. And I almost see it as God saying, you know what? Uh, you're, you're saved. You're a Christian now. Um, I'm going to give you little seedlings that I want you to raise up and grow into a plant. And these little seedlings are characteristics. Um, check this out. He says, um, I, I'm going to give you the responsibility now to grow it up and mature in these areas. All the time he's saying, you know what? Don't worry. I'm going to wa- help you water this with grace and mercy. And I'm going to help you do this if you let me. Let me. We can do this together. But let me just point out real quick the next section here. It says, uh, not just put on, but then he goes and says, you are the elect, you're the holy, you're the beloved. And all, just real quick, all three of these terms were used in the Old Testament to describe Israel. We read it early in, in uh, 1 Peter 2 and 10. He says, you're the chosen race, the royal priesthood, a holy nation, and other terms that he, was used, he used to describe Israel. But now he's using it and he's applying it to us. You are God's holy and beloved. I feel like he's saying a change has now come into this economy of God and what was once true of one nation is now true for those who come to Christ because we are now his elect. You are his chosen ones. You are his holy and loved ones. That's exciting, man. (laughs) What was true for one nation is true for us. We've been grafted in. It goes on and he says, okay, now that you know this within your canoer, Put on compassionate hearts. Some say, some say tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Guys, in this doggy dog world, will you get, will you, if you want to get something done, you almost have to step on people to get there. At least that's what the world portrays to us. We have to stop and we have to ask ourselves these things some, from time to time. It's good when we're reading the scriptures and we come to a section like this that says put on. It's good for us to actually stop and think, do I have these things on? Do I have a tender sense of compassion to people? Are my, are, is my life characterized by these areas? Is my life characterized by humility? Is my life characterized by meekness that says, I'd rather suffer than have you suffer? And real quick, meekness is not weakness. I guess we can unpack this another time. In my life, character, is, in my life, is my life characterized by meekness? Is my life characterized by kindness? So that someone else is good is just as important to me as my own. Is my life characterized by patience? We all need to work on these things, right, guys? Unless there's somebody in here that's got us all down. That'd be amazing. I'd be stoked with that. Um, Then he stops and he says, okay, but wait, there's more. Check this out in verse 13. Bearing with one another... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Sometimes scriptures like this really just kind of rub you, don't they? <laughs> you have to, you have to forgive somebody that's uh, annoying me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about you. I mean, maybe we could, if you're sitting next to somebody, maybe rub, rub up against their shoulder. And pretend like you're a, you're a stone that you're sharpening them with. <laughs> you know? And just say, you know what? Do you feel that? Because I, I kind of feel it this morning. But it says, it's almost like verse 12 uh, tells you how to be under people, and verse 13 kind of tells you how to act when you're on top of them. But re- let's break this down real quick. Let's look at the word, the word bearing. It doesn't mean to endure or being around an idiot or being around the person that you just don't care for because they just, they're two, sh- two chopsticks short of a teriyaki bowl. I don't know. Even though... Even though we all have to be around these, these kind of people sometimes, this word actually literally means to hold out, 
whether it's persecution or injury or threats or differences or insults or complaints or lies or defamation of character or whatever it is, literally the Greek word says to hold yourself back from one another. Bearing. It's almost like grit your teeth and bear it, in a sense. But don't fly loose. I mean, when you're tempted to break loose and fly at each other, you know, you, sometimes the guys especially will go, I just I wish I could clock that guy. I just wish I could just clean him up. Uh, it's good that you're holding back. <laughs> it's... <laughs> But it's an amazing characteristic to be able to endure, to be able to, to just step back and step away, back away from the, the, the sense, with a sense of enduring under any kind of hardship, under any kind of persecution, under any kind of difficulty, and say, hey, you know what? The Lord has a reason for this. Lord, I pray that you would just calm my spirits, calm my anger. Lord, you have a purpose. It's up to you to manifest, it's up to me to manifest the godly character, godly quality of endurance in this situation. Because, besides, God is my defender. The Bible says he will repay. It's a tough place to be, and it's challenging. This is one of those things that just kind of rubs me, especially as a guy, you know. Sometimes I can get angry at certain things. <laughs> but to, be, to risk being buried in um, hypotheticals, if you absolutely feel like you're in the right in a given situation and the other person won't see your side, it's okay to agree to disagree. There's no fault in that. You both can have a chance at maintaining your relationship in that case. If you can agree to disagree, take a break if you need to. Come back to it. You can, but you can't hold it against them. You have to understand that you don't understand their standpoint. I'll say that again. You have to understand that maybe you just don't understand their standpoint. In, in relationships and in quarrels and in things that arise, it's so much better to listen instead of be thinking what your reply is going to be before they even finish their sentence because then you can reply to them and say, I hear you saying, is this what you're saying? And then they can say yes or no. And if it's not, then you just say, you know what? Explain it to me again. And that's going to calm a lot of these issues in, in uh, relationships and, and quarrels. And, it, you know, this kind of stuff really easily turns to anger. It can really easily turn bitterness towards one another. But we have to release our anger. We have to, uh, this hatred, you know, to God and let him be the one who takes care of it. Remember, Jesus uh, compared the, the idea of hating somebody to murder. If you're murdered, you're now carrying the corpse on your back. <laughs> it could be another thing. But then the issue here for me, then it goes and says, forgive them. Then it says, forgive them. Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Maybe you are right in this situation, okay? Maybe uh, that person has taken it upon themselves to make sure that everybody knows that you're wrong and they're right. And now the, the bitterness, the slander, the, the gossip is starting to stir, and you just feel like, I'm, I'm just, I'm not doing anything. And the, the leaves and the, the feathers are flying around. I'm never going to be able to pick up all these feathers and put them back together again. And God, what am I going to do about my character? And God says, you know what? Don't sweat it. I got you back. My grace is sufficient for you. It can come down to a very intense situation, and division can't occur. But you realize that Satan is in the business of division. God is in the, it's in, the, in the business of multiplication, and that's kind of where we need to be. We need to be in the same business that God is. We have devils trying to rip apart relationships all the time because that's what sustains us. That, that's kind of, we're relational people. God's a relational God. We need the community of believers. The one another scriptures are there for a reason, but look at Hebrews 12, 14, Romans 14, 19, Ephesians 4, 3. It tells us that as Christians, we need to make every effort, every attempt to live at peace with one another and keep the unity of the Spirit. 
if going to that person and trying to help them understand this, your, your view of the situation works, then great, we're fulfilling scripture. But even if it doesn't work, we're still fulfilling scripture because we're making every attempt. And we're not to be those that kind of slide in, into their category. When Paul says, I've become all men to all people, for, you know, so that all, Paul, by all possible means, he doesn't mean sink down to their level in the sense of, you know, start sharing slander, start doing gossip too. No. We got to forgive them. But let's make something really clear, and then I'll wrap this, this piece up with this. Let's make something real clear. Forgiveness is not the equivalent of trust. Forgiveness is key to avoid, avoid being a bitter person, but it's not the key it's not the key role in, in, in trust. Trust needs to be earned. Forgiveness needs to be given. That's why it's forgiven. Forgiveness needs to be given. And it could be a while before that peace in that situation and relationships are, are restored. And sometimes there's only so far that you can go, especially if one or both parties aren't participating in what we're talking about here. But at least we're making every effort. We can go, um, go away from the situation with peace and a clear conscience because we practice this part. And you're going to be able to hear God a lot better if you can have the attitude of forgiveness. And finally, 14, he says, Above all these things, put on love, which binds it all together in perfect harmony. Of all of it, he says, uh, Once you have all these articles of clothing on, he says, Put a robe over the whole thing and, and uh, tie it not, tie a, a, a sash around it. And the sash is love, tie it all together. And you can probably recall the Pharisees and Sadducees of the Old Testament, New Testament. Um, they almost, any biblical movie you've ever seen, you'll probably see somebody wearing a tunic and they all had a sash. And that was the sash. It held it all together. If they didn't, everything would be everywhere, right? It'd be flowing in the wind and it'd kind of get tangled up in things. <laughs> Think about how many times God says in the Bible to gird up their loins and to, and to go do this or go do that. But that's kind of the concept. He's saying once you've got this all together, you can't really move forward until you gird yourself up with love. Love, man. It's all about love. It's the sash. It's the belt. It's the bond of peace. It should gird the believer. Everything that we have, what um, that God has given us, should be held together with the perfect love of God. And look at, uh, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 13, it's commonly used when we're talking in a marriage ceremony. Uh, you know, love endures, love is patient, love is kind. Um, but he says, right before he goes into that, he says, <clears throat> the greatest of all these things is love. If, I'm sorry, he wraps it up with that. But at the beginning, he says, if I have not love, all this is kind of meaningless. I'm nothing but a gong, nothing but a symbol, a clanging noise that is here one moment and kind of fades out. Love is what needs to keep it together. It keeps us going. It keeps us moving forward. <clears throat> Finally, he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I just so love verses 15 and 16 here. The first uh, couple words, it says, and let, let, let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ dwell. And I'm becoming so much more and more convinced the more I, you know, try to grow in these little seedlings and make them big enough to where they produce fruit that it becomes the more that you can just be instead of do with God. And God, you've heard Pastor Rob say this multiple times. And God's called us, they, they call us human beings, not human doings. It, makes, it kind of sounds like a crazy concept, too, especially to our Western culture who wants to you know, step on somebody to get something or get something to do something. 
you got to, he's just saying, you know, just be. And this, this concept of letting it happen, if we can just be in his presence, things, we can just let it, these things happen. And, um, Ephesians 2.9 says that it's by grace that we, we are not saved. And it's by grace that we are saved, and it's not by works. The only instruction that I could, uh, thing that I could come up with or think about in the, in the Bible as far as salvation goes that we have to do to be saved is we have to believe and we have to confess. One has to do with the head, one has to do with the heart. John 3.16, right? Whoever so believes in him will be saved. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that, Christ raised him, or that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Think about the Philippian jailer. Um, he's, he, Paul and Silas are in jail. They have a worship time and things fall down and they're free and they're sitting there and the jailer goes, can I have what you have? <laughs> and he says, how do I get it? And he says, well, just believe. You and your household, believe. Change, your, change your, your mindset. So we know we don't have to work to gain our salvation, but Jesus says in Matthew 26, 41, now follow me here because I got a couple of scriptures that kind of relate and put this all together. Matthew 26, 41 says, the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, Right? Paul gives us a charge in Philippians 2 that says, work out our salvation in fear and trembling. I think Paul probably even, he got this through his disciples because he wasn't around when Jesus was doing his thing. Maybe he was, but maybe he heard him. I don't know, but Jesus said, the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And Paul says, you know what? We need to work out our salvation in fear and trembling because he knows that, yeah, our flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. So what do we do? We need to work out our salvation by being in his presence, by spending time in his word, by, by spending time in worship, by spending, spending time in prayer, because these things become a natural reflection of his life being lived out from within us if we can just let the spirit of peace exude from us because we have been saturated in his word, because we've been saturated in his presence. These things just naturally kind of happen, and we can just be. The do part comes with by getting there and changing our mindset. Romans 12, right? It says, uh, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And just by being in these moments, we're changed, and our fleshly nature desires get tamed because we're now letting the Spirit can take control of us. And he wraps it up in verse 17. It says, and now whatever you do, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When it comes down to it, people people are looking at us. They're judging us. We live in a very critical society. Um, and I, we've been trained more and more to to have our own thoughts and our own relevancy and uh, uh, our own faith. We all know who the truth is where the true faith is, but the, the world doesn't see that as such because we've been trained to be critical about everything because we want to have it done our way. So we become lights for Jesus. In, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says that we are God's ambassadors. And we have, this, we have this tremendous new life. We have this new garment on, and it's not meant to just sit inside of our, our, our shelf and our closet. We need to put it on. We become his ambassador. We become his representatives to a world that's dying that that needs it. Jesus said in, five, six, in Matthew 5, 16, that we need to uh, let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. And then here we have Peter further on um, in 1 Peter two twelve, He says, very similarly, keep your conduct honorable so that people may see your good deeds and glorify God. We are, we are representatives of Christ 
as to the, to a dying world. And they don't they might not even know it, but they want it. They even need it. And it's like they we got these people that are walking around with these corpses on their bodies and they're gonna they're dying. They're starting to decay. And we have the antidote in our pocket. So think about this. If you're gonna wear a cross, if you're gonna wear the Christian Sure, if you're going to put the bumper sticker on your car that says you love Jesus and then flip somebody off, I don't know. Before we do that, we need to, we need to check ourselves first and know that we have a testimony. We, know, we need to know that we are changed. <laughs> because then, guys, you can see, you can say to anybody who asks you, I, you know, it's funny, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, I see you have a Christian bumper sticker on your car. Can I ask you something? Yeah, that's a. I said, do you know what you're saying to me flies in the face of what the world's is saying to you? You're supposed to figure this out yourself. <laughs> we need to be open to that. In, in Timothy, it says to be ready to give a, an answer for, for the hope that we have. But then we can say to anybody who asks why we have such peace when trouble comes, or why we even care about others when all around us things just seem to be falling apart. You can then point them to the one who called us out of this darkness and into his marvelous light. We need to go there. But we can't run around and make the Christians. <laughs> we need to get clothed. So, Father, this morning, Lord God, I thank you for this word. God, I thank you for your, the, the scriptures in Colossians and Ephesians that, that inspire us and charge us and challenge us and rub us wrong at times to, to follow after you, God, with our whole hearts and um, to put on these things, God. God, we're still developing them. Some things are stronger than others. Some things are, are just not as quite developed yet. God. We can't do this without your grace. Thank you that you give it freely. Thank you that your mercy is on you everyone. And thank you so much that you have um, chosen to walk with us on this road. Lord God, thank you for the opportunity to be ambassadors, to be representatives of, of you and the kingdom, God. We just pray, Lord, that our lights would shine before all men so that you would receive your glory. That's through your name and they might be able to come to the everlasting saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Father, tonight, or this morning as we, as we close this out, I just ask that if there's anybody in here that doesn't know you this morning, that wants to, to, to have a piece of this peace that they've never had before, well, God, we, we open this, up, this, this moment up. Well, God, I pray that you minister to their hearts in this moment. And I would challenge, ask you this morning that if you've never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you, you want to see a change in your life, you want to be able to be that representative that has peace, that passes all understanding, the word says, then it's just it's time to come to God. I say something like this, Jesus, I recognize that I'm not a perfect person. And I can't walk this walk alone without you. God, I thank you that what I've heard this morning shows me that there is hope. God, my life this might be falling apart right now, but I need you. I need the hope of glory. Jesus Christ, would you forgive me of the things that I've done that I might even know that I've done against you. I just know that I need this life. I need Jesus in my life. Would you forgive me for anything that would be offensive to you, God? Come to my life right now. Come into my life and make me whole. Make me a new creation, as we've heard this morning. And help me to put off the old person, put on this new person, God. I trust in you, and I fall into your grace. In Jesus' name.
Praise the Lord. Well, if that's you and if you've done that, <laughs> praise the Lord. And then and if you if you prayed that prayer for the first time, or maybe it's a, the, a new new thing for you, please come and see me afterwards. We have something to give you, and we want to get you plugged into to a life group, somebody that's going to be around you and surround you and love you and encourage you on. So thank you for being here this morning. Come back next week. Dave Ogren, you guys have a great day. Thanks for being here. Bless you guys.